What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped inside my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about Starfield and my first hours within the game, my thoughts, opinions, and more. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my thoughts and adventures from the universe of Starfield. Gamers, after 25 years in the making, it is finally here. Starfield has arrived, and I could not be more excited to have finally gotten my hands on a controller, the Starfield controller to be specific, to play this game. So Starfield, for me, started out as something kind of like a, yeah, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. It's a Bethesda game. I love me some Elder Scrolls, some Fallout. I'm definitely going to be there. Don't really, no questions asked. Don't really have to worry about thinking too much about this one. But the first couple of trailers and, and different things they showcased around the game, honestly, I wasn't that into it, to be honest with you. And I was kind of underwhelmed leading into last year's presentation. Now, once they showed that, I was hooked. And things just continued to escalate for me over the past year, especially this past summer at the beginning of it when we had that Starfield Direct and it was just all about Starfield and we got to see a, a lot of detailed stuff about what we could expect from the game. So at that point, it was also the announcement of the Starfield controller and the headset and man, I jumped on those bad boys and I have just absolutely loved them. I've done accessory reviews on them in my previous Captain's Quarters episodes. So bottom line is the hype level for me of Starfield going into the release of the game is just kind of off the charts at this point. So I go into the game, and I obviously did not hesitate to pre-order that $100 premium edition. You get the season pass, you get all this bonus content, but the big thing for me, the big draw, was five days early access. So you can play the game September 1st as opposed to waiting for it, where it officially releases on September 6th, as, as well as playing it on Game Pass, if that's your decision to do so. For me, I knew I wanted to support Bethesda and Xbox and actually buy this game, so it really was, again, a no-brainer for me. And from the point that I started playing this game at 8 p.m. Thursday night, August 31st, because officially in my time zone, it was available as of that time. I honestly, I looked at it as, you know what? I want to give myself the opportunity tonight to hopefully stay awake long enough just to create my character and kind of get those beginning training wheels off. Because if you guys have ever played a Bethesda game, you'll know what I'm talking about. Elder Scrolls Oblivion, basically you start out in the sewer until you get out and then the open world is just presented to you in this beautiful way. Same thing with Fallout 3. You're in a vault. Most Fallout games, if not every Fallout game, now that I think about it, you start out in a vault, and then you open the vault door at the end of that training sequence, and you are out there in this massive, beautiful open world to explore. Well, I wanted to basically get past that point. I almost was successful on that that first night. I did create my character, of which I named Spectre, because for whatever reason, I don't know, I just kind of, at this point in my gaming career, how many characters have I named the same name over and over? And when it comes to RPGs, I like to kind of play around with it a little bit and do something very unique or different off the wall even. So for me, Spectre, I just like the word. I mean, it just sounds kind of cool to me. And I felt it was fitting for something that is 
you know, taking place in space and sci-fi and that kind of thing. So for me, Spectre is what I named my character. I tried to make him as look as close to what I think I look like as possible. Uh, I have gotten some compliments on that, so I think I did a pretty decent job. I'm happy with that. And to start off there with my first impressions is the character creator. So I very much was hoping for what I got with the character creation options in this game. Some games, you know, they're very bare bones. They already have mostly preset faces or body types or things like that that you can just select one through ten, choose which one you want, and boom, you go. But other games allow you to get more detailed in it, as this game does, which is choosing the depth and the width and the height of your forehead, your cheekbones, your chin, your throat, all these different things. For instance, the throat. I'll talk about that real quick. I have an Adam's apple, a kind of a somewhat pronounced Adam's apple on my throat. So to adjust my throat spacing on the character, I could do that. So it kind of looks like, oh, okay, there's the little Adam's apple. Cool. And just in general, the different shaping of eyes and the color of eyes and the different styles of hair. And I mean, you got everything else that you could really hope for within a character creation screen. The big thing that I like too about Bethesda games is every Elder Scrolls and Fallout for the most part, you choose uh, essentially a, a story, a background, and then you have different attributes, three traits is what they call them, that you can select for your character to start out with. So for me, I chose the background of Explorer because I felt like based on the description, I mean, everything, I, I went down every single one, every single option, and out of what I felt represented me the most, I felt like Explorer was the best one. So I went with the Explorer background, and as far as traits, oh man, the one, I've seen preview of it and the Starfield Direct that they had at the beginning of summer that I talked about. They had mentioned that you could actually have a fan, like a diehard fan of your character. And they'll pop up from time to time, follow you around, and they're just kind of like this obsessive person that won't leave you alone. Kind of funny. So I figured I'd go with it because, to be honest with you gamers, a lot of the attributes that you could choose, I felt like they were you can't choose just a positive thing. Like, it doesn't give you just a positive. Like, say if you choose to go with this faction, you'll be positive in, say, gunplay, but you'll be negative in melee. It's that kind of concept, or that that's the basic gist of it, is you're good in one thing, but it'll cost you in another thing, is what most of the attributes that were there were. So I tried as best I could to stay away from those. Now, outside of the fan... The next attribute that really stood out to me was the street rat attribute. And this gives you a backstory where you grew up on the streets of Neon, which is a city I can't wait to get to and explore because of, honestly, just the description of it. It sounds really cool, Neon Lights, kind of like a cyberpunk or a night city, if you will, that's in Cyberpunk 2077. That's how it at least is in my mind, based on the descriptions that I've gotten so far. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But that backstory sounded kind of cool to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to choose Neon Street Kid as my one attribute. So that also gets you kind of in on when you interact with the factions and the different gangs or groups that are in Neon, it allows you better perks when interacting with them. You might have uh, new quests or objectives that pop up because of that background option that you choose. And that goes for all these attributes. And the third uh, attribute that I chose was Empath. And essentially what Empath, uh, you can look at it as somebody who is able to closer connect or more easily identify with others. So I thought that would be good when it comes from a companion perspective as the game progresses. Maybe I have 
options for more companions than other people may have, or maybe I can connect quicker with them being an empath. So those were my three traits and my background. So now I've created my character. I've got my background and my traits. I'm ready to go. And ultimately the game starts and it kind of just throws you right into the middle of a, a mining excavation. And that's what you are. You are a duster, which is what you are referred to as from your uh, leading commanding officer, if you will, your manager, however you want to coin it of this certain group of miners or dusters. So you start out and you're just basically going through the different tunnels. And as it's through this sequence that Bethesda gives us the tutorial of the basic controls in the game, and it was done and implemented really well. And I just immediately was drawn into the visuals of the game. I mean, it's just a beautiful game. And I got to see the lighting on play at the very beginning here because you're kind of in these cavernous areas that are dark, so you get to use your flashlight. And I got to see how the lighting played off of the walls and you have these stalactites and stalagmites and all these different things around, water dripping and the sound effects are just really good. Long story short here is the fact that you get to a digging point and of course you end up finding this artifact, which is not a spoiler, it is out there. It's the whole purpose of the main story of this game is hunting down the purpose of these artifacts and trying to find them. So you find this artifact that causes you to have a vision and different things like that. And uh, you get to a point where we are introduced to the combat pretty quickly. And there is a group of space pirates, I'll just say, that you end up learning how to use the different combat options for you in the game at this point. And I was very impressed. I was actually extremely happy with the way the controls of gunplay and just character movement in general was great. I mean, I just, the controls are top notch in my opinion. I haven't had, I can't speak enough accolades about how well I feel this game controls. So once you get past that, you're finally able to get to a point where you can leave the planet and take this ship from a character who pretty much gifts it to you that you meet. And at this point, you could either stay and explore some more because there are plenty of other things to explore on the world, or you can leave and follow the main quest to this planet or what ultimately ends up being a moon called Crete. And you ultimately, I end up going there because there's a distress signal there where there is another team that let's go check it out and see what was happening there. And gamers, it was at this point that you're introduced to the space flight and combat and takeoff and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of details there. And I got to tell you, I was actually, I thought it was pretty cool how you can focus uh, what you wanted to put emphasis on as far as your engine power or your uh, shields or things like that. You can allocate and move up and down with a little uh, bar to the left-hand side of your screen that shows you the different little ticks of power that is going to these different categories and you can adjust them accordingly how you see fit and how you want to fly and control your ship. So leaving the atmosphere of the planet was kind of just a quick cutscene, and when it loads back up you're just outside of that atmosphere in space and it's kind of like what you probably read online or may have heard already where you're kind of in a box and in this bigger open area outside the atmosphere of the planet that you're near that is where you can fly around and kind of free fly and then also uh, do some dogfighting, which very quickly the game introduced me to that. And I personally thought it controlled extremely well. I felt really, really cool flying around and taking out these different space pirate ships. And it was just a lot of fun, to be honest with you. So I can't wait to get more into that because that really, honestly, at this point is all I've done as far as space combat is concerned. Once you get past that and you fast travel essentially to the 
moon of Crete because there is no just straight traveling right now that I've seen where I, I could just travel straight from this planet to another planet. I did read that it is possible. It just takes extremely, uh, an extremely long time to do so. But I, so at this point, I'd probably just rather in the interest of time, fast travel. But I get to Crete and it immediately the game starts showing me all these different things that I can do. You have a scanner that you can actually scan all the different flora and fauna and different things in the environment. When you scan, it'll pop up with things of interest that are in the distance that you maybe want to check out at some point in time, whether it's locations or different interactable objects. And I can just already tell that on the, on the planets and the moons that I go to, I'm going to be obsessed with trying to get 100% explored of all these planets. And in order to do so, it's not enough just to scan one type of one animal or one type of one flower or tree or plant. You have to scan multiples of each one to get up to a full 100% of that animal or plant. So that is a little frustrating. I wish you only had to do it the one time, but ultimately uh, it, it's still fun to try to, as you're exploring anyways, you come across a new flower or a new a, another one of the same enemy types or, or animals, you can still scan them. There's plenty of them around. I just still wish that they would have had it as one, as the only one required to give you the full percentage credit, if you will, towards the overall 100% explored of the planet or moon. So as I'm going through, I start to do what I tend to do anyways, gamers in most games, which is just start exploring randomly, just going every which way and trying to see everything. Within about five to 10 minutes, I had to stop myself. I said, you know what? Let me go to this abandoned research facility and let me find out what exactly it specifically is that I'm here for. Let me follow the story a little bit because I could just I could see myself already spending hours just going from different location or icon to icon and never even getting to this facility. And I, at that point, it could have been five, six hours that I played. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I went to the abandoned facility. And at the abandoned facility, let me just say it was an amazing time. It took me probably two to three hours to get through that facility because of how thorough I was exploring it. And I'll talk about that in the next segment a little bit more detailed wise. But as I exited out the facility and I finished up the story portion of this moon, I was tasked with leaving Crete and going to the planet and location and city of New Atlantis, which is the actual capital essentially now of society. So... I didn't want to just rush off of Crete because I still had some more plants and animals to scan. I still had some minerals that I could mine. Even though I had mined all the minerals and got credit for that percentage completion, I still wanted to get them just for raw materials for crafting and whatnot. So I decided initially to start out exploring some more of Crete. And there was also some unknown locations that popped up on my map as icons that I wanted to go and see what they were. So the first one that I went to ended up actually being a pirate ship that had landed on this planet, on this moon. And as I get closer, there are some pirates that are kind of standing guard on the outside of the ship. I snuck in a little bit up the ramp of the ship and inside of it in its cargo hold. But the pirates had seen me, so they came around. We got into a firefight. I took them out. And as I was climbing up the ladder to try to get up into the actual main area of the ship, I, I, it sounded like it and felt like it based on the vibrations of the controller. And it sure enough was what I thought it was, which is the ship was taking off. So then it goes into a loading screen because now I'm out in the middle of space just above the atmosphere of this moon. And as I climb to the top of the ladder, there are three or four other crew members of this pirate ship that are up there and they start lighting me up. As soon as I come up and crest the top of the, the little hole where I'm coming out of, 
climbing up the ladder. So I take those guys out, three or four of them, pretty quick. And I'm actually able to commandeer and, and steal the ship. So I thought that was pretty cool. And when you do, the frontier is the name of your ship. And it actually takes the frontier away from being your home ship and makes this new ship your home ship. So I didn't want that really to happen, but I figured it did say that anytime you get to an area where you can interact with your ships or whatnot and look at your fleet, you can actually change at any point in time uh, which ship you want to be your home ship. So that wasn't too bad. So at that point, I decided it was time to travel to New Atlantis. And when I did and I got there and I'm still there, let me just say, man, I have not been disappointed with what New Atlantis has offered me. It is absolutely gorgeous from a graphical standpoint. And I have just explored the main central area that you first land, the spaceport aspect of it, and one subterranean level of this planet and this area of New Atlantis. And, oh man, I, I'll start with what I did when I first got there. As soon as I landed, I started as soon as I possibly saw it was customizing my ship. And I wanted to kind of build and, and customize and move some parts around and make the look of it different. I didn't see an opportunity for that yet. So I don't think it's, I think it's because I don't have any parts that I'm aware of that I've picked up and you can't just access parts. I think you have to collect them or buy them. So I did play around with changing the color of my ship. So I got a nice kind of an aqua blue, green, teal looking color going on. And so I like that. And then once I customized my ship, I started to explore New Atlantis. And as I got further into it, man, gamers, there was just so much to do. There's, it feels alive. There's all these different places you stop off on. There's the viewport, which is kind of like this bar that you go into and you could actually interact with some of the patrons there that are looking to be picked up as a new crew member by anyone who's willing to, to bring them on. And each crew member has different specialties like engineering or sniper uh, marksmanship or you know just ex explosions different things like that they all have different specialties but i chose not to right in that moment to hire anybody because i didn't want to fork out the money at the time and i wanted to just kind of wait and see who else i saw as potential options for my crew as i continue to explore new atlantis they also have these different terminals that you can go to and you can pick up jobs that are in there for anybody to pick up uh, which a lot of them so far have consisted of destroy this ship at this location or do, you know, get this item from this location. But there were some that were kind of like cargo mover missions, if you will. You can, hey, take this cargo and take it from point A to point B, but you only have five days to do so. So I don't know exactly how that works because I couldn't do any of them. My cargo hold is not big enough to hold the cargo uh, that is required to be moved for these missions yet. So I couldn't do those. So I was a little disappointed in that. But let me tell you, there was enough people all around this area of the spaceport of New Atlantis that were giving side quests left and right. I don't know how many side quests I picked up from these different people around the area. And then I was given an option. It was either take an elevator to go to the subterranean levels of New Atlantis, of which there showed three at the time. And, or I could take the train to go to the next bigger location or hub area, which is where the next main uh, quest objective was. So I didn't want to do that. So I was like, you know what? Some of the side quests are in this elevator and the subterranean levels. Let's go there. And the first area that I could go to was a place called the well. And you go down and basically it's this very industrial type area and it's 
honestly quite beautiful for it to be underground, but it's very dusty and you know, there's a nice little area. I'm sure this is where it gets its name from. There's this massive open area where a bunch of pipes and water is draining down and it's kind of like a waterfall underground. So it's actually really cool looking. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff to do around here as well. There are shops, there's uh, different apartment buildings, there are restaurants, there is just side quests, <laughs> again, that you pick up. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff to do. And this is just one subterranean level of New Atlantis, which, again, I got to reiterate, this is like the first major planet that you go to. And it's just like, oh my God, uh, 10 hours, gamers, I have put into this game just about. And this is... This is where I'm at. I am still exploring the well. But I got to tell you, in all my time playing it, the graphics are absolutely gorgeous. I haven't really noticed any issues. I did have a couple of two literal moments where the frame rate dipped a little bit. I'm playing on the Xbox Series X for perspective. Uh, but I didn't really have any issues otherwise. I Some clipping. You know, there, there has been that, but it hasn't been, again, where it's persistent or, or consistently throughout my playtime. But overall, none of these things, in my opinion, weighed on my experience to where it was like, oh, this is bad at all. Not at all. So graphically, I, I feel like the environments are great. It's I wouldn't say that these graphics are in the upper echelon of visuals, but they are absolutely gorgeous to look at the animations is what they're they're what really impresses me about this game the physics and the way that objects and certain things move within the game world so for instance you have these different little uh key hook things that are on your spacesuit or different just things flapping in the wind or just the physics of these tiny little things that move i think are great and then the body movements of characters while you're in npcs while you're interacting with them i think is very lifelike and fluid so the physics and the, the just the animations of a lot of these things are very impressive to me. And then the level of detail and the environments. It's the depth of the detail within the walls and just the depth of detail within like the different rooms and offices of that abandoned research facility that I got to on Crete. I mean, there's just it's just overall a great looking game, especially for how much is packed in here. Now, when it comes to controls, as I stated earlier, I felt like gunplay was great and fluid, just basic character movement is just awesome i feel it's very it's just perfectly tight and and the movement is as good as i could ever ask for to be honest with you so i have no issues so far with the controls the only thing i can really say i mean because the sound is also i'll, I'll put that out there music is, is phenomenal it's a, a phenomenal orchestral score the voice acting is top notch for everybody npcs main characters doesn't matter so great voice acting and I just at the end of the day, the only thing I really would say that has kind of slowed down my excitement or been less than stellar, if you will, pun intended there, it has been the menu system. And I've seen people online, you know, have issue with it. My wife has a little frustration with it, but, uh, you know, it, it is kind of cumbersome to get around and navigate. You basically you press start or the, the menu, the, the menu button on the Xbox and it brings up the screen. And to get to the pause menu or the menu where you manually save, load, those kinds of things, you press the menu button again. Now, back out of that screen, when you first press menu, you have your character model in the center. And then there's all these different kind of pie slices, if you will, around the character. And you angle the left analog stick in the direction of which pie slice you want to go to. So that can be a little bit of cumbersome. I'd rather, I, I honestly would have rather have had tabs where you press RB or LB to go left and right through different screens. And maybe Bethesda was trying to get away from that. But 
like when you go to the map screen, I, f I hate the map in this game. I'm not going to lie to you. I had seen it before I played the game that there was no end game mini map or active map or anything like that. You just see the icons on screen and walk in that direction. And that's exactly what it is. And even when you go into this pause menu and you go to the map, it starts out, it goes and focuses on the planet map. And then you have to press Y again to go into the location map. And even that location map, it's not detailed. It just has key points or locations that are in that area that are dots on a screen. So I was very disappointed with the map in the game and just the menu navigation is a bit cumbersome. So I would say those are the biggest detriments so far for me uh, for this game. But overall, the experience that I've had in Starfield has been an amazing one. And I could just see myself absolutely putting 100 hours or more into this game and loving this experience. I can't wait to see what more surprises come my way. But now, out of that first 10 hours, let's go see what my highlights of the week was. Gamers, in the previous segment, I had mentioned that I was going to get back to the abandoned research facility. And the reason why is because I knew that was going to be my highlight of the week. So in the first 10 hours that I played Starfield, I would say probably two to three hours of that. So just about almost a third of my time with Starfield this past week was actually exploring this abandoned research facility. Now, it may not sound like much when I just say, oh, yeah, I explored this abandoned research facility. Well, Hulking Yoda, I mean, we've done that a thousand times in a thousand games, and you would be right. But what made this the highlight of the week for me, at least out of what I played, was the story that was going on within this abandoned research facility. First off, it was just kind of a cool setup, and you could just tell there was a lot of experimentation going on and a lot of research and obviously abandoned research facility, right? But the bottom line is what really made this a highlight and a standout for me was the fact that there was an ongoing story from the beginning of the facility until the very end. And what that story was is it actually followed a specific researcher who was stationed at this facility on his different logs, his personal logs that he made and the different computers that you come across throughout the course of exploration. And you literally from day one as he gets the job and tells his wife until unfortunately the way things ended up for him and the rest of the team there at that facility, you get a log kind of chronicling years worth of his research and his time there. And for me, it was very, very interesting. And I just loved the specifics he talked about within the journals and the logs, you could actually see the results of some of what he was talking about. And it gave context to some of the different things that were in the environment within this research facility. So I just absolutely love that. And the fact that it was just the first random facility that you go to in the game and there was already that in there, it just gave me just, again, even more high expectations and excitement of things to look forward to as the game progresses. Now let's open up a chest of buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in Starfield. Wait a minute, this isn't buried treasure. I know what you're saying, gamers. This is not what the next segment is supposed to be, but it's a surprise, even though it shouldn't be, because that 
music signifies me here to say and declare a quest for a thousand G in Starfield. That's right. Anytime I play a game on Xbox and I go for all thousand G or anytime I play a game on PS5 and go for the platinum trophy, I make a claim right here on the show. And that way I can kind of keep you updated with me as I make my progress through that game, as well as let you know when I hopefully finally reach that goal of a thousand G or a platinum status. Now, with Starfield being on Xbox, obviously we're talking gamer score here, so my quest is for a thousand gamer score in the game. The achievement list doesn't look too shabby. Basically, play through the main story, do some side stuff here, or there, some research, kill a lot of enemies, and ultimately I'll be able to get all thousand G. Nothing too crazy like play it a second time or on New Game Plus or on hard difficulty level or any of that. So I was absolutely stoked to find that out because it pretty much solidified me going for this quest for a thousand G's. So follow along with me as I do that over the probable multi-hundred hour journey that is my quest in Starfield. Now, let's go check out those buried treasure gaming tips. Gamers don't ask me why, but to be honest with you, this tip I'm about to give you, it took me just about 20 hours of playing into the game to really fully realize the <laughs> ability that I had all this time that I should have been using. So I mentioned before in the discussion about the game that there is a scanner that you can utilize that'll allow you to scan different elements and resources in the environment when you're exploring in that way. But when you're in, say, New Atlantis or any environment, you also can see different objective icons through this scanner. And when you hover over them with the reticule, it'll tell you what that objective, what quest it belongs to, or what the objective itself is, and how many meters you have to get to it, and so on and so forth. But one thing that I noticed the further I played and the more I used this was that there's actually a little GPS arrow system that you can follow to send you in the right direction. Now, granted, it does fade after a little while, which I thought was kind of odd, but then it would randomly pop back up. So I don't know what the deal is there. But regardless, it massively cut back my time trying to search for certain people. There was a specific quest. There's actually a few, a few quests in New Atlantis that require you to go kind of back and forth talking to people or uh, going back and forth between different facilities and different factions. So in order to get back to where some of these people are, because I don't remember everybody's name like that that I meet, there's a ton of them. This actually helped at least set me on the right path or get me in the vicinity. And because I still had that scanner active as I was walking around, it gave me a much better idea of where I needed to be instead of aimlessly walking around New Atlantis and going through all the different districts, as I had done for <laughs> quite a few hours before I really started utilizing that scanner. So if you're looking for the quest objective or trying to find out specifically where you're supposed to go, because in my opinion, a lot of these quest objectives and quest markers don't necessarily give you the exact location of where you're supposed to go. They give you the kind of general idea until you're right up on where you're supposed to be anyways. So I would highly recommend utilizing that scanner and utilizing that, what I would call a GPS kind of function to at least keep you on the right path and let you know you're going in the right direction, at least up to a certain point. 
and also make sure to pay attention to the descriptions of people's names. You can kind of designate from a distance whether people are just generic citizens that aren't going to really do anything for you or if they are named citizens or NPCs that you can actually interact with and have conversations with, potentially pick up side quests from, or may, they may be actually your objective for the quest. So hopefully that'll save you some time and you won't spend hours aimlessly wandering around New Atlantis as I did before stumbling across this. Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, this week on Captain's Decree, I am here to ask the question, should games get rid of an encumberment system? A system where the inventory that you carry has a weight value to it, and you can only carry up to what your stats or your level of progression has allowed you to carry. Should gaming in general be done with that and get rid of that? I have got to scream from the top of my lungs, yes, please get rid of this feature. I absolutely can't stand being over-encumbered in any game. I had forgotten, it's been a while since I played a Bethesda game, and I had forgotten how absolutely annoying it is to all of a sudden, boom, you get the little notification on your screen about being over-encumbered and having to either ditch stuff that you've collected or sell it or break it down. I, I just, I, bottom line, hate in these kinds of games where you have tons and tons and tons of items and resources and all kinds of different, Starfield specifically, spacesuits and helmets, and you have everything broken down on an outfit or on your character's wardrobe, and each one weighs pretty considerably. And then you have all these different weapons that you want us to try out, but I can't hold but so many because there's the weight. And let me tell you, gamers, at the point that I'm at in the game, I have leveled up a few times the amount of weight and increased it, the amount of weight that I can carry, and it's still, I mean, just almost immediately, it feels like I am right back to being over-encumbered. One thing I will say about Starfield is at least in this game, they allow you to still move at a regular pace. That is one thing I couldn't stand in the previous games where you're literally crawling because you're over-encumbered until you go one or, or either you're at your, your limit or you're one below that limit. At least in Starfield, you can still move at a normal pace, but they do still have a detriment to it for being over-encumbered. There is still a penalty. In Starfield, you start to lose oxygen as you walk at a regular pace being over-encumbered, which leads to carbon monoxide and too much carbon monoxide. And then as that meter fills up, then you start to take damage. So it's still annoying because you still don't want to get to a point where you're taking damage from carbon monoxide and take it's just all around infuriating to me. I absolutely wish that game developers would please stop adding a limitation on us as the player when it comes to these kinds of games. I just don't understand it. It is absolutely infuriating. And it's not just me. I know my wife feels the same way. Uh, man, let's just evolve past that gameplay aspect of RPGs. Please, developers. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostofseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch networks. 
You can also find me on social media on Instagram and threads at Lost at Sea Gaming and on X at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing. <laughs>